Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we have such ready access to it. Lord, I pray you would illuminate it to us tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would speak your unique word to each heart here tonight. And, uh, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, don't, I haven't seen you. You've probably been here for weeks. It's just that I haven't been here for weeks. But Mike and Chrissy, welcome home. Can we welcome them back from their junket around the world? <laughs> it's very good to have you back. Uh, well, tonight, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke from the book of Ruth. And tonight, I would like to speak from the book of Esther and just as last time I couldn't read through the whole book of Ruth and had to give you a bit of an overview, I'm going to do the same with Esther tonight. But I want to encourage you to read this book. It's a very easy to read book. Who knows that some parts of the Bible are a little bit more difficult to read. This one reads just like a narrative. It's very easy to read. Take it this week. It's only a few pages in my Bible and uh, depends on how big your print is. And, and read it this week. It's, it's a great book with lots in it. Uh, But I'll give you an overview here tonight. You see, this book took place in about 520 BC, and it's primarily concerned or actually just stays within the Persian Empire. It doesn't go outside the Persian Empire. It's in the period of a book called Esther, Ezra rather, it is the book of Esther, a book called Ezra. It's before Nehemiah, and it's dealing with um, the exile period. Uh, It takes place, um, yeah, um, and and, and it opens with a feast, and this feast is thrown by the king, a king called King Xerxes, and it's pretty much a look away, look away kind of feast. He says, actually the Bible says, that he's displaying the vast wealth and the splendor of his majesty. That's the whole purpose of the feast. And so there's a bunch of people that have come in for this feast. Um, they've got, every person is assigned, every male is assigned a male servant, pretty much to do whatever that guest beck and call might be. And uh, the wine is flowing, the food is flowing. And at the same time, Queen Vashti, King Xerxes' wife, is throwing her own banquet with all the ladies. Uh, It gets to a point when King Xerxes has well had his fill of wine. And I just noticed that there's a few younger ladies in the congregation tonight. So girls, sorry about this. Jess, I'm sorry about this, all the parents in the room. But actually, it gets, it gets hectic after a few wines. And King Xerxes says, he sends seven eunuchs, these are dark days people, seven eunuchs out to get Queen Vashti and says, tell Vashti come in wearing her crown because I want everyone to look at her. I want everyone to look at her and see her beauty. He is objectifying his wife in the midst of an assembly of men. Now, Midrashic sources, which are Jewish uh, scripture sources, they say that actually the request would have been for her to appear just in her crown. And so this request is incredibly demeaning and disgusting thing to ask of your wife. Um, now, dancers, obviously, in those days, they were used to being seen. But, but even women just generally were secluded from the view of the public and in particular royalty. So to ask this queen to come and appear before all the guests was just a really disgusting thing to be asked, and especially by her husband. A few words on Queen Vashti. She's, she's royalty in her own right. She's not just queen because she married King Xerxes. She's the great 
granddaughter of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. And, and actually, she was um, taken from Babylon when she was in the bedroom of her father, King Darius. Uh, the Medes and Persians invaded Babylon, um, plundered the castle, found this little girl, uh, Xerxes' father, sorry, who is Belshazzar. No, no. Oh, who cares? You don't care. Um, one of the people, he, um, one of the people, that's what he likes to be known as, um, he, he, he took her in order to marry his son and create a political alliance with King Xerxes. So here we have Vashti marrying King Xerxes for a political alliance, and now Xerxes is demeaning her in front of the whole assembly. Here's uh, where it gets real. Vashti, as the seven eunuchs come in and say, well, the king wants you to come in and, and show everyone your crown and, 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 and come in and appear before them. Um, she says, uh, no, I will not. And uh, she is the original um, lady boss and says, no, uh, I'm not going to be objectified like that. And so she doesn't, so she says no. So the king obviously at that point comes to his senses and said, well, that was a ridiculous thing for me to ask of my wife. Why would I do that? No, he doesn't. He listens to his wise counsel who tell him, you know what you need to do, King Xerxes? That's terrible. Before you know it, every wife in the kingdom won't be listening to their husband. She needs to never be in your presence again. Wise counselors, thank you. And, uh, and so they, he says, great, great idea. Next day, he banishes her. He says, you can't come into my presence again. Next day, he's hungover. He has hangover regret. He goes to her in humility and says, Queen Vashti, I am so... No, he doesn't. He doesn't do that at all. He goes to his wise counsel and he says, okay, I don't have a wife anymore. What should I do? What should I do? And these wise counselors say to him, well, why don't we gather all the beautiful virgins from across the kingdom, get them together, have them undergo beauty treatment, and you can choose from them, whoever you like. <sighs> <laughs> That's a terrible idea. And, and, you know, I don't know if you've ever re read Esther. Maybe you've just seen A Night with the King, the movie portrayal of it, and you thought, oh, it's a beautiful story about how Queen Esther comes and becomes queen. No, this is a horrific story. And as the wise counsel tell the king, let's just gather up all the beautiful virgins from across the land, shocker, the Bible says this advice appealed to the king. There's a surprise. And... Um, for this fine, upstanding gentleman. And, then, and they, so they gather people. Now, this is essentially a human trafficking situation where girls who are beautiful from across the land are stolen from their family, gathered into a harem and undergo beauty treatment, which, which the word in the Bible is to scour and to polish. Like this is not, you know, day spa, yay. This is awful. If you've read The Hunger Games, which of course you wouldn't, because why would you? You're a Christian. But if you read The Hunger Games, you, it's like when Katniss goes to the capital and, and she's taken from her family and you've not read The Hunger Games, so let's move on. Um, they're there and, and, and you kind of, you know, there's been this kind of thing when, when I go to women's things, they say, and then they underwent beauty treatment for a year. Wouldn't that be wonderful, ladies? No, it wouldn't. It would be about as wonderful as a lamb gets all the food that it wants because it's going to get fattened up and killed. That's the situation that we're looking at here. They're undergoing this beauty treatment, but it's like The Bachelor and there's not 12 women, there's hundreds and there's no roses and there's just horrendousness. Well, actually, pretty much like The Bachelor. Okay. The king's crazy. Enter our last, oh no, Mordecai. Enter Mordecai. He is um, a, a Jew who has been stolen. Also, his land has been plundered and he has been exiled out of his land with a bunch of other people and he's serving the king. His niece or cousin in some translations, but rel relative, 
His name is Esther or Hadassah. And she's a beautiful Jewish young girl. And her family are dead, probably in the exile when the country was invaded. They probably died there or maybe died in the exile somewhere along the track. But, but Mordecai has decided to take her as his own and treat her as his own. And so Mordecai, uh, Esther gets taken from Mordecai and put into the palace. And, and we kind of might go, oh, well, that's great, isn't it? Like Esther's got a chance at being queen. No, Mordecai's desire for this girl who he has taken as his own daughter would have been for her to marry a good Jewish boy and to grow up worshipping God rather than in a strange place and in a desperate place. So Mordecai would have been probably devastated. Um, like I said, the king's crazy. And our last character is even crazier than the king and his name is Haman. Haman hates the Jews. We're going to get into why a little bit later. But Haman hates the Jews and he wants to kill all of them. And uh, if you thought the Bible was boring, you need to read Esther. <laughs> Haman hates the Jews, wants to kill all of them. Essentially, Mordecai says to Esther, who knows, but the famous line, but that you were born for such a time as this. And, and um, Esther throws a special blank banquet for the king and for Haman. Haman ends up dying. The Jews end up being allowed to fight back on the day that Haman's designated for all of them to be slaughtered. They don't all get slaughtered. They get saved. They get rescued. And there's a special celebration for um, the rest of time. Oh, praise the Lord. Got through it. Okay. I want to address some misconceptions from this book, bring some corrections, and ask some questions tonight. And the first one is this. Esther chapter 4 verse 14 says the famous line that many of us would be familiar with. For if you remain, this is Mordecai speaking to Esther, asking her to go into the king and speak to him on behalf of all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. You see, the first misconception is that phrase that you were born for such a time as this. If we could put up that slide, Xavier, it's, uh, I don't know how numbered they are there, but it says that the misconception is that you were born for such a time as this. See how you go. Born for such a time as this. You see, the misconception is that you're born for such a time as this. The Bible doesn't say that. No version of the Bible anywhere says that you're born for such a time as this. They all say, who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Who knows but that you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. It all designates a moment in time that perhaps that she's come to that moment for such a time as this. Not that she was born for that moment. Because if she was born for that moment, that would mean that she's just waiting her whole life until this moment. And when that moment's done, then she's done. She's fulfilled her purpose. She's outworked it. That's good. She's all done. That's not the case. Every single moment along our life, we are born for that moment and for that moment and for that moment. You're in the time you are right now for such a time as this. You're not waiting. You're not just kicking back and, God, please show me my purpose. What is it? I just really need to know my purpose. I can't do anything until I've got my purpose. No, right now, where you are, at the workplace that you're in, in the family that you're in, you're there for such a time as this. Esther was hanging out with Mordecai grieving her parents, and in those moments she had something to do by God's plan for such a time as that. Then she became queen, and who knows, that, but that maybe in the harem, she was in the harem for such a time as that also to speak to the girls around her. Then she becomes queen, and she gets to save the Jewish people, and she was there for such a time as that, but her life didn't stop when that happened. She kept going, and she kept going, and she kept going. So the, the misconception is that there's a, a such a time 
as this moment. I need to pause on things until I can figure out what my purpose is. I'm just waiting, just waiting to figure out what my purpose is. Can't move, just waiting, just fasting and praying. Gotten a hell of a lot skinnier than I used to be because I'm just fasting and praying, waiting for my purpose. But no, the reality is that you, you are where you are right now for such a time as this. You don't need to wait a second longer. You're where you are right now for such a time as this. And it's just a matter of grasping the enormity of the moment and saying, every day when I wake up, God, you've given me something to do. So the question is, where have I hamstrung myself? By looking to the there and then rather than the here and now. Where am I just waiting for the there and then? Where am I failing to be faithful in the little that God's given me now so that I might be given more to be faithful over for him to trust me with. Next, next one is Esther 3, Esther chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. This is about Haman, the crazy guy. Esther chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, After these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of Hamedetha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down to him and paid honour to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. Why? Because Mordecai kneels down for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, he, not Jesus, God, because Jesus wasn't there yet. But God, he only knelt to God, so he wouldn't kneel to Haman. If we go to, um, I don't think it's up the back, guys, so don't worry about trying to find this one. It might be there. It says, after Esther has invited Haman to come and have the banquet, in chapter 5, verse 9, it says, But Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, because Haman is a sociopath, not in the Bible, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honoured him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Suresh, and all his friends said to him, have a gallows built, 23 metres high, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go with the king to the dinner and be happy. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the gallows built. Haman's a psycho. That's the first part. But apart from that, apart from that, Here's Haman. He's been elevated above all the other nobles. He's been given promotion. He's been given position. And yet one man not bowing down to him has the power to steal all that away from him. He needs the position. He needs the recognition so much that it steals it from him. One man in all of the kingdom. Contrast that with Mordecai who saves the king at some point. You've got to read the story this week. But saves the king at some point. And, and actually gets elevated by the king after Haman is killed instead. Chapter 10 and verse 3 says this, Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, so he's taken the position of Haman, the preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. So here we've got a man, high elevated in position, second only to the king and, and, and loves it and brags about it and goes on and on about it and one person can steal it away. 
Another man is second only to the king, preeminent among all the Jews, and decides that that's, he's got that position so that he can work for the welfare of his people and the good of all the Jews. Here is the misconception, if we've got the next slide. And here it is. A position is something that you reap. But actually, a position is something that you sow. You see, we feel like, well, I worked really hard for this. I earned this. This is mine. I deserve this. This position is something that belongs to me. But anytime we get any kind of promotion, it's actually something that we sow. It's meant to be something that we spend on behalf of others. So the question for us tonight is, with whatever measure of influence I've been asked to steward, am I using it for the glory of God and the good of people? You see, if we take that question and whenever we're given any kind of promotional position, we use that and spend it on behalf of other people, no one can steal it away. No one person who doesn't recognize us or doesn't, you know, pay homage to us or doesn't say, call us by our title or whatever it might be, they can't steal it away if we're determined to spend it on behalf of other people. A position is something you sow, not something that you reap. The next point is on the presence of working and workings of God. Because the book of Esther doesn't mention God once. It's one of only two books in the Bible, this and Song of Songs, and I think Daz is going to do a series on that one next. Um, but um, both series, neither of them, no, both books rather, neither of them mention God. They don't say God at all. And so we could say, well, this book shouldn't even be in the Bible. And yet God is working everywhere in this book. You see, Esther coming to that royal position, that's God. That's God working to save the Jews. Mordecai not bowing down to Haman. How can you do that? How can you have that kind of fortitude and courage unless you're fueled by a love for someone who is way beyond yourself? Unless you've got devotion to someone way beyond and bigger than yourself? That has to be God. Now, what we don't know unless you read it this week is, is actually that um, the king can't sleep one night when Haman's decided to get Mordecai hanged. The night before, the king can't sleep. What do you do when you can't sleep? Sudoku? Is that how you say that? Sudoku? Yes. And uh, like, like without being crude, he's got a harem full of people that he can help him get to sleep. But he asks for the royal records to be read to him. And the person just happens to flick over to where Mordecai saved the king. For some reason, the king who will not pass judgment on tonight, he had forgotten the fact that Mordecai saved his life. And the night before Mordecai is about to be hanged, the royal record reader flicks the page to where Mordecai saves the king. That's God through and through. Let's not forget that little Esther decides at some point, when you read the book this week, she decides to go into the king. And, and, and Mordecai implores her, please, Esther, you've got to go and talk to the king. And she said, I'm not going to go in and talk to the king. If he doesn't extend his royal scepter to me when I walk into the room, I am toast. I am dead. I'm not doing it. And that's when he says, who knows that you've come to royal position for such a time as this. She summons up a courage and she goes into the king. He points out his royal scepter and she survives. Esther, think about that little woman. She's not even the right race. And she's going into the king. Let's not forget what happened to her predecessor, Vashti. She's out of sight and out of mind. But Esther summons all her courage and goes into the king. God is at work. And then the Jews are there and they are celebrating. Oh, well, they get to fight back. They get to fight back against those people who would come and kill them. You see, what happened was that Haman said, can we just go out and slaughter all the Jews on this particular day? And the king says, yes, sure, Haman. 
And, uh, and then when Esther goes to him and says, please don't do that, he can't actually repeal what he's already said because he signed it with his ring. And so he says, well, okay, I can't repeal it, but what I will say is that the Jews can fight back. And the Jews fight back and survive. Our history, people, is messed up. But apart from that, God is at work in the midst of it. So this next misconception is around the presence and the workings of God. And our misconception would be, if we could throw that next one up, the misconception would be, where are the miracles? We don't see any miracles anymore, when the reality is that miracles are everywhere. Now, I don't want to downplay miracles. When we see blind eyes open, when we see lame people walk, that's my desire, that's my heart to see dead people raised. I, I don't believe that that stopped with the New Testament, that once the book was sealed, that that's it and God's never going to work like that. I don't believe that. I believe that he will still do miracles today. And he is doing miracles. We're hearing testimonies all the time of God doing miracles. Here, only a few weeks ago, a woman who couldn't see an eye was crooked and the other eye had complete film over it, like a blurry film. While we prayed her eye and had conversation after her eye turned back straight and the film went away. And she was like, I can see. I like, yeah, that's what we prayed for. <laughs> and, and, but I can, I can actually see. This is happening everywhere in all our locations, these kinds of things. And yes, we desire to see miracles. But we don't want to be those people that are like, oh, we don't see miracles like we used to. And there was miracles back then. But let's recognize the miracles that are everywhere now and celebrate them so that God might entrust us with more. Let's celebrate every single miracle. Can I just remind you that the biggest miracle is salvation. The biggest miracle is someone like Marie talked about tonight who would go from the kingdom of darkness, having no hope, not knowing where she was going into the kingdom of light and having hope for a future and family being changed. That is the biggest miracle that we could see. Four people when I was in Armadale this morning made that decision for Christ. I don't even know what happened in our other locations. That is the biggest miracle that can happen. So what I want to ask you is where am I missing the manifestation while I'm praying for the demonstration? Where are the parts of my life that I'm missing the manifestations, the little manifestations everywhere? My child said, thank you. Miracle hallelujah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was an example of other children, Cheyenne and Jess. Yeah, um, not Kate, sorry. <laughs> Just kidding, Cheyenne. You know, so many times I've heard people cry out, God, change my spouse. Change them. Change my mother. Change my mother-in-law and, and missing the little parts that God is changing and forgetting to thank God for those little things because they're waiting for these other big, amazing things to take place. I just want to cultivate an attitude of gratitude in our church where we're, we're on the lookout for the miracles. We're on the lookout for the things, and, and, and I don't want to call things miracles that aren't miracles, but I want us to constantly be in a place where we're thanking God for every little thing that we see, eyes of wonder, seeing the kisses from heaven that might take place. The miracles are everywhere. Last one, and this is a question, how are you remembering the worst time of your life? How are you remembering the worst time of your life? You see, what happened after this book, Jews are saved, everything's turned around, and Purim, the festival of Purim, is instituted. Now, up until today, the Jews will still read the book of Esther during the festival of Purim. And every time the name Haman is mentioned, they drown it out with their praises. 
They play their tambourines. They play their shofars. They sing a song every time that the name Haman is mentioned. And I just wonder if today some of us might still be going over old ground and telling the same stories over and over again when actually now it's time to move on from them and to leave the past behind. Now, I am all for grief and mourning and having a proper period and time of mourning. And if you're in the midst of that, I'm not talking about you tonight. But I believe that God would be quickening some people to say, you don't need to talk about that anymore. You've told that story for the last time. And now, instead of saying that person's name all the time, why don't you just get a bit of praise on and say, hey, yeah, every time that person's name comes to your mind, Jesus, thank you that you've brought me through it. Father, thank you that I'm still here. Come on, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit in that mess any longer. I'm just going to thank the Lord every time I think of that name or every time I think of that situation or every time I think of that person. That's no longer the place I'm going to dwell. It's a trigger for me to praise the Lord and thank you for bringing me through. Can I get an amen here tonight? Amen. I think you start an annual celebration. I, uh, Bella, I'm, I'm, Dad's going, to be, Dad's going to be horrified that I'm mentioning this story, but every year Bella does a celebration of our house fire that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And uh, she gets red and orange balloons and, and red and orange lollies and makes a red and orange cake. And, uh, and, and she did an Insta story this year. And she, I'm really sorry, Daz, about this, but your daughter did it, it wasn't me. And in the instant story, Insta story, she said, you may think I'm weird for celebrating this, but it's a big fart in the devil's face <laughs> for trying to pull us down and us pulling through regardless. Some of us need to start a party because God's brought us through the worst time of our life. <laughs> it's awesome. And at the very least, at the very, very least, why not every time we come to the table of the Lord, let it be that trigger for us that I'm not going to say that name anymore. I'm not going to tell that story. I'm not going to re re repeat that sad history over and over anymore because God, you've brought me through it and Lord, you're taking me on and you're not leaving me in the midst of it. Let's come to our feet tonight, church. There aren't, there isn't just one big born for such a time as this moment. There are such a time as this moments all through your life. And perhaps tonight you've come to Northwest Church for such a time as this. Because God had an invitation for you tonight to say, are you ready to give your life to me? Let's close our eyes to block out distractions here tonight. Is God saying to you, are you ready to follow me? Have you made that decision? There are many in this room that have, and if I could ask those people to be praying, because there are some people here tonight that perhaps haven't made that decision. Tonight, is it your night to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you? If that's you, we just want to pray together. I'm just going to pray a prayer, and the whole room is going to pray it after me. But if that's you here tonight, you want to say, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. Can you raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying for here tonight? Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Is there anyone else here tonight? Anyone else who would say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. This is my night. This is my time. We're going to pray all together. Dear Jesus, 
thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking my sin and my past. I want to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. I want you to be the Lord, the boss of my life. I give you control of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates over one person who repents. So let's join the celebration here tonight. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.